Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, and this week, the mysterious Mr. Epstein and the missing crypto queen. No, that's not the title of a new James Patterson thriller. They're the two hot podcast investigations we are reviewing this week. One deals with the life and times of sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. The other explores the scam of digital currency and its creator who has since vanished. Joining me right now to talk about those and more is my real life husband, true crime co-author and the podcaster I marry, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and snake oil consumer, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Whoa. Rebecca. You're going to join my MLM, and you are going to rule the world one family, one CBD. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. And finally, our resident cynic, the author behind the noir novels, the known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Ahoy there. All right. So speaking of our Patreon, tonight on the Patreon After Show, we're going to be talking about Kevin's brush with big time celebrity. Right, Kevin? Medical celebrity. That's right. It was not Dr. Drew, unfortunately. Dr. Oz? No. No. Dr. Phil? No. No. Dr. Burns. <laughs> you don't know who that is. But no, yeah. but you will. You will. But all the celebrities do. That's right. Uh, we're also going to be talking about my interaction with Brendan Dassey's attorney, Laura Nyrider, and how awesome she is. Also on Patreon, we have a new Married With podcast, which I am not in, but I hear it's the best one we've ever made. And... Uh, Toby. Maybe that's why. It's <laughs> probably why. <laughs> and there's going to be a new Toby Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast coming. It may even drop before this episode. I hope. We'll see. Toby, what was that book club about? It was about Anne Perry and the murder of the century, which is uh, novelist Anne Perry, who's always in like the New York Times top 10 anytime she has a book comes out. When she was 14 years old, she and her best friend bludgeoned her best friend's mom to death Jesus in New Christ. Zealand. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. God. It's nuts. Woo. It, <laughs> it was like this huge deal. And for, I mean, it was like 40 years. 
after it, she got out of jail and then she went to America and then she went to England and she started writing novels. This is very, you know, extremely successful novelist, one of the most successful novelists in the world. And then somebody found out, you know, made the connection. Hmm. Anyway, it's an interesting book. We had a, Wait, we had a good the discussion. Book? It's a book about her? It's about her. Okay, got it. It's not fiction. It's about her. She certainly did not cooperate. <laughs> and it's actually got <laughs> the worst cover of any like legitimate book I've ever seen. No, it doesn't. Like, you take a look at it and it's like a self-published book from like 1992. and But it's actually like legit and it's really good. And I had... A really good conversation with Amy Schlossberg and Rebecca Sebastian about it. And I think people will enjoy it and hopefully be uh, inspired to read the book. But the the whole thing, it's really strange. It's really interesting. These two girls had this very, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Beware the Slender Man. Yeah. Mm, Whereas these two girls uh, who are, you know, certainly have uh, mental health issues and then become their own little like two person world with all these strange rituals and stuff and it ends up in this this tragic uh very brutal murder. The short answer is we're doing Ann Perry and the Murders of the Century. We'll sign up for our Patreon. You'll be able to hear that book club episode very soon. Now Kevin, without naming the book, do you know what I was talking about when I said that that, that book does not have the worst cover of any book ever printed? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you I don't did. want to talk about it, do you? I'm not an art director. <laughs> just a victim. Let's just say something that hit very close to home for us. That has <laughs> the worst cover of any book ever published. <laughs> I do literally know because the publisher told me it was the guy's first attempt <laughs> at doing a cover for, for true crime. He really wants to try it. <laughs> Oh, it was hardcover too, so it was just sad. Yeah. Because, like, oh no! Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's like really. I think I think I have it in my house actually. Oh, you paid for it? It looks I like uh, it looks like a fake true crime book that would be on like a Saturday Night Live sketch about a true oh my crime God. book. Well, it's the flames. <laughs> okay, mm. they're like I a s- hand. Or oh my God! Like. Like the hand of God. <laughs> the photoshopping, oh no. the uh, photoshopping is so bad. I'm looking at it right now. You can see like the I gaps. Am too. I'm looking at it right oh, now okay. and I'm like, oh. I was so relieved when the paperback version came out. And somebody knew what they were doing. It's like it? 1970. It's like kind of vintage. <laughs> you know? Imagine that's your first book that you ever wrote. And you get it in the mail and you're all excited. And you open the box and you're like, ooh, it's what copies of my first this? book. <laughs> You hadn't seen the cover until you got copies of it? I think you saw a rendering of it, but you thought it might, like, and the actual book look better. That's right. It's kind of like like Halloween-y on the top, because, like, the Uh letters, like, they've got a little, like, shadow dragging Halloween thing. They do. But then in the middle, the picture should have been, like, instead of just having a square picture in the middle, maybe the picture should have been, like, you know. That would be my assessment. I'm looking at it. I forgot about that were you all told like you know when you're doing your first book to get like either from your agent or somebody to tell you like do not push back on what they decide the title will be 
you don't get a vote in that. You don't get to say like what the cover is going to be like. They gave me like uh, consultation rights or something. Oh, yeah, Kevin didn't get that. Yeah, I go. <laughs> I had like the consultation, consultation rights, rights on the rights. cover. Said, Thanks anyway. Like they they were like at least had to run the cover by me, and I was like, okay. Oh, I don't geez. love it, but yeah. it's not. Our next it, You know, they we'll tried to do in. something weird with mine too, where they made like this, like like ring from like a glass that didn't have a coaster to symbolize like somebody drinking the poison. Yeah, which was a little stupid. Kevin's just super fucking literal. <laughs> my the guys who did my covers were awesome. Like my yeah, first cover, like great. the first time I saw it was great, and then the second one, he did one that was really cool, but didn't really. It was like about a completely different book. Uh, <laughs> it was rejected by somebody else. <laughs> I was. I said I love this cover. It's just it. It's kind of making promises. This book is not going to keep. Yeah. And then he came up with three others to choose from, and they were all awesome. Mm. I was like, I don't know which one to choose. I went to another publisher, and the guy there who's actually friends with the guy who at my first publisher also did a great cover. Hmm. It was awesome. Yeah, I didn't your, have to do anything. Your book covers could be posters. They're so awesome. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. They really are. No, they, those guys did a great job. Yeah. So I'm looking at Kevin's now, and I'm wondering, like, the pop-up. <laughs> oh but back to Kevin. <laughs> the pop-up ad that keeps popping up says, Senior Coupons, Three Easy Steps. Oh, my God. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> well, Cambridge Analytica. Click all senior about coupons. You. Two install our free profile. Three enjoy free coupons for seniors. Like, what <laughs> does God. that have to do with that? Because oh. it's vintage 1970s, so that's the clientele they're marketing to. Kevin, I thought that the paperback cover for your book was fine. It was it really was. nice. It was. It was. It was so bad. They owed you. Oh. Are we going to talk about podcasts? Yes, we are. Okay. The paper cover, this paper cover is so much better. It looks like it could be either a Nicholas Sparks book or perhaps a murder mystery. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. It's like a house with a sunset in the background. Yeah, a murder house. This Sorry. is like, no, I'm looking well, we at We record it. on Fridays and the party drugs have kicked in. It's All a right. different scene. All right, let's start the podcast. Everyone's sober up because we're going to be talking about something kind of serious. You guys ready to start the podcast? Let's do it. In March of 2005, financier Jeffrey Epstein is at a charity benefit in New York City. Wall Street titans are in attendance. Rod Stewart is booked to perform. In a photo taken that night, Epstein has his arm around a woman, pulling her head toward his so that his smirking lips graze her temple. Epstein is tan and relaxed, and he looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. His crime shocked, his punishment outraged, and his death left questions. Wondery's new podcast sets off to answer who was millionaire Jeffrey Epstein, who enabled his child sex trafficking, and why did the system favor him over his victims? On that same day, 1,200 miles south, a 14-year-old girl in Palm Beach, Florida, gives a statement to the police that will launch an investigation. But maybe Epstein is right not to be worried. Nobody cared what these women had to say. Their insights were ignored as the uh, the feds and then the state made this case go away. In the mysterious Mr. Epstein host, Lindsey Graham, no, not the senator, a different Lindsey Graham, hopes to fill in the blanks around the infamous investor to the star's origin story and how he was able to lure and rape young women with no consequences for so long. Mr. Epstein should have been looking at a potential sentence of 360 years at a minimum. But that's not what happened because there was a power dynamic here, wasn't there? 
This six-part series expected to look at Epstein's suicide while in custody and the rumors behind it. The mysterious Mr. Epstein is timely without being rushed, attempting to pull together the various threads of incomplete news stories into one narrative. Now, we will be talking about plot points from three episodes of The Mysterious Mr. Epstein. So to stay spoiler free, look for the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin, you had the same reaction to this podcast that I do initially. Uh, There's some strong reporting here, and it's actually a pretty straight narrative uh, storytelling enterprise with this podcast, right? Yeah, I do think it's very solid. I do like... Lindsey Graham's, I'm going to laugh the whole time I say it's, it. It's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate it coincidence. It's just, it's not right. your fault, Lindsey Graham, that you have the same name as Lindsey Graham. Yes, yeah. I mean, Kevin Flynn is also the lead character in Tron. Yes. But we'll just, we're just going to push through on that. <laughs> I do like his his voice and his delivery. It gets, that gives a certain amount of gravitas to the podcast because it is, you know, a serious subject when you're talking about the crimes here. I also buy into it when he says they're going to be doing you know, a, a deeper investigation here. And it's not just about what happened with the, the sex trafficking, but all sort of about like his financial background and how he got into this position and the people that, that covered for him. And, it, you know, I, th- I think the mysterious Mr. Epstein is a, is, is a very... Um, a very apt title for this story. I do too. And, and a couple of our listeners on our Facebook group complained about the title, saying it sort of glamorizes him, the word mysterious. And I'm like, actually, no, he's literally very well, mysterious. Well, uh, what do you think mysterious means? I know. I think it's sort of seen as like, like a... sexy mysterious? Exactly, which I don't Wrong think it is. Wrong kind of mysterious. I don't think it is. Like nobody knows how this guy got all of his money. Like no one knows. It's the international man of mystery, I think is the... Exactly. That's the implication. But literally, he is a mysterious guy. I mean, his ability to get jobs without any formal college education, his ability to, you know, just move into that dude's giant mansion in New York and just claim that it's his and how that's okay. I mean, there's a lot of actual mystery there that I think makes it an appropriate title as well. I don't think it's that mysterious. No? But I'm getting ahead of us. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Now, Laura, you sent me a note. You said you also uh, expected a podcast when the Epstein story broke. Uh, but you didn't want to give him the attention of listening to one. Uh, what do you think when you're actually listening to this? Are you glad you're giving it that attention? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I, I definitely when this broke, I was like, this guy is such a asshole. I, I don't even want to give this guy, you know, any sort of focus. I mean, he is just the things he's done are horrible. But I, I kind of was like, someone's going to do a podcast. Given all that, I was like, oh, we're going to listen to that. Great. Uh, I really didn't want to because I felt like this was going to be pretty upsetting. But I, it's it's very well done. And it's well reported. It's well produced. They've got a lot of interesting voices. And the background about him working at the private school I thought was really interesting. Um, details, especially the one student who sort of early on flagged that something was going on and was not listen to, which mirrors a lot of the stories we've heard in recent years, like at private schools and public schools with teachers that have been brought up on, you know, long overdue sexual assault charges. So I won't say I'm glad I listened, but I'm going to say it's it's pretty well done. Toby, you sent me an interesting note about how this podcast, and I think just any sort of reporting around this story, uh, seems like an indictment of the ethics of a lot of rich people, not just Epstein. What do you mean by that? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's what what I was kind of hitting at when I said I didn't think it was all that surprising, like how he managed to worm his way into these situations. You know, there's that book, The Psychopath in the Boardroom, right? And I think 
a lot of people who are very wealthy have sort of a different attitude towards morality or or whatever, so that Epstein probably seems like a real sort of go get him guy when they meet him. And it's like a chip off the old block. Like he's sort of an amoral, somewhat psychotic guy who's just going to be super aggressive in pursuing money, whether it's for him or for other people, like his various patrons. And, you know, I think that carries over into other facets of his life. And I, I thought to me, in some ways, the most, uh, you know, I guess it wasn't shocking, but the the most, how the hell does this happen is the fact that that Len Wexner guy from The Limited is like yeah. completely <laughs> enabling him to basically kidnap this artist woman and hold her hostage in this mansion. I mean, that was it's the insane. craziest story. That was the craziest one. I mean, if I knew that that Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile, you know, five years ago, six years ago. I mean, there's no way Bill Clinton, Alan Dershowitz, all these people who associate with him, they must know. And yet they're willing to go past it. And I think it has to do with sort of this idea that that kind of morality is for is for other people. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of speculation and we can speculate because Jeffrey Epstein is now dead. But there's a lot of speculation even before his death, after he was arrested, about the source of his wealth potentially being that a lot of these rich billionaire guys that he associates with also have some of the same predilections he does. And he, you know, potentially was hooking him up. And then, you know, they were buying his silence with money. I mean, that's kind of out there. And I think that's something that reporter Julie Brown is continuing to dig into as she sort of continues to investigate the story. I have quibbles about the podcast in terms of like production and stuff. The one voice that I really wish was in it, but I'm certain there's a reason why is Julie Brown, the Miami Herald reporter who did a lot of the reporting that exposed the story of Epstein's sweetheart deal and kind of, you know, really brought this story into the mainstream in a lot of ways. Her editor's in it, which is great. And the reason I think she's not in it, I'm guessing, Kevin, I could be wrong, but I'm probably right that she's probably doing something else, right? Yeah, it probably has. It's probably a book deal or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Kevin, getting back to that sweetheart deal, what do you think of that deal? The fact that I, he was you know, basically sentenced to own almost nothing sentence, what, like 18 months, they didn't even serve that, and then he was able to leave every day to go to this fake job. Yeah. And he well, went I, home. Yeah. Yeah, the idea that, uh, you know, that there's this little bit like in the story before they get to that about how he got outlawed is how the defense team put it. Uh, you know, with, they didn't like just give us a deal. We just did a better job of defending him to get all the federal charges brushed aside in exchange it's for. It's all bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it'll, and I'll just say at least give the career prosecutors in that office, the federal prosecutors, some credit for complaining later when they found out how I wasn't even like really staying in the jail. But that whole story about, I I mean, you know, there really are two justice systems. There's one for the rich and there's one for the rest of us. And that's just like the most brazen example. You know, I mean, certainly there was, you could say, oh, there was a big donation made to the sheriff's office that might explain some of what was going on on the state side. Uh, it's I think it's still unclear why the federal government backed off on that 
didn't even tell the victims yeah, that they're making is, the yeah. deal. Which is illegal. Let's talk about the backstory that we get. I mean, the podcast is promising to give us more of the Epstein backstory than we've gotten in reporting so far, or at least putting it together in a, in a more complete way. Laura, what did you think about um, Epstein's background? Never graduated college, yet got a job teaching at a very prestigious private school in New York, where a couple of my yeah. nieces went, by the way. My sister's ex-stepkids uh, attended Dalton School, so I'm like, oh, that actually is a very fancy school. Yeah. Um, and then you know his was it Bear Stearns the investment firm where he worked yeah. and mm-hmm. you know um, his ability to sort of get jobs obviously he's bright obviously he's good at yeah. math and physics because you can't just teach those classes without knowing a little yeah, bit about those subjects yeah what do you think about how the podcast handled that backstory stuff I, I definitely this is one of the stories that when it broke in the news first of all I was like super like okay this this woman from the Miami Herald is a hero for breaking this story like she's fucking amazing but I also didn't I was like oh, this is I don't want to watch too much of this. I don't want to listen. So it was really interesting to listen to the way that he was able to sort of weasel his way into these situations and pull it off. You know, this sort of, you know, I'll call it like a con man sort of ability to kind of talk his way into situations. And especially at the school where it was like, it didn't even sound like they checked out his background too much because they were so impressed by the fact that he was so smart at math and they really couldn't find people to teach those subjects and that he could do both of them was like, oh, that's a bonus. But then the way that he used that to sort of ingratiate himself with the parents of his students who then would be able to get him to the next level. Definitely when you hear about somebody like this and you hear about everything that he's been able to pull off, he certainly must have some sort of a talent for, I mean, I you know, like the used car, car salesman thing, like he can sell himself and, and get himself into these situations where he, you know, is able to come across as legitimate, even though he really has no grounds for doing anything that he's doing. So that, that was actually the episode that I liked the most. I really did not like listening to some of the other episodes that were a little more graphic in terms of the abuse, but the backstory was very interesting. You know what it enlightens for me is that maybe this isn't the mysterious Mr. Epstein. It's more like the talented Mr. Epstein and talented in the way, that evil way, where he can bullshit and survive and groom. You know, there are other people in the world with the same predilection, but they don't also have that kind of drive and luck and skill to put themselves in a position where they are millionaires and have their own private island and shit like that. You know, what's crazy to me is how not secret any of it is. And this is the thing. And this is the thing that differentiates like rich people committing crimes from not rich people committing crimes. Like Jeffrey Epstein had pictures of his underage victims hanging in his house. Yeah. Like it was not a secret. He had them hanging in his house. Like people went to his house and they saw them there. And, you know, he would talk about like enjoying massages from like young people. He was paying high school students to recruit other high school students to come to his house so that he could force them to massage him and coerce them into these sex acts. High school students are not known for their discretion. Like he did not give a shit. Who knew about this? It was just like way out in the open and of course the defense for that is always like well would it be so open if it was actually I was actually committing this crime like that's always the defense that rich people do right yeah but it reminds me a lot of like you know even looking at the um you know the the rich parents and the college scandal like the richer they are the more brazen they are and the less contrite they seem to be like it's crazy like the richer you get entitled it seems like- people feel entitled yeah I guess that's true I guess that's true all right well I want to talk about 
another character that is an important part of the Epstein story, and that is his uh, one-time girlfriend or perhaps on-again, off-again girlfriend, uh, certainly co-conspirator in some ways. That's Ghislaine Maxwell. It's a cloudy day in the fall of 1991. A group of reporters is crowded onto a dock at Tenerife, the largest of the Canary Islands. They are standing beside a 180-foot yacht with microphones and notepads in hand as they eagerly await a statement. A brown-haired woman wearing a red plaid suit and dangly gold earrings emerges from the yacht's cabin. She's somber, but composed as she strides down the deck to face the assembled reporters. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all the many hundreds of people who have sent messages of support to us at this very, very sad time. Toby, what are your thoughts on Maxwell? I mean, she's somebody the media is very interested in now. She was recently tracked down, you know, staying at a friend's house. And was it outside of Boston or something or in L.A.? She was photographed like eating a burger or something like that. Mm -hmm. She certainly still manages to be in the news, but she's an important part of the story. What do you think of her as a character? She's one of the few people in this who seems like she she sort of fits both into victim and perpetrator, I guess. So she's a little more complicated in that. You know, her father, who was this very rich English guy who apparently was also a pedophile. I don't know how that could not be damaging, like with how open that seemed to be, where her father would, after lunch, like have young girls come into his office or something, and he'd close the door and lock it from inside and then give them presents afterwards. So, you know, knowing that that's going on, and then somehow ending up in a relationship with like another guy who's a pedophile and then becoming sort of enthralled to him to the point where he apparently likes his women thin, which I fear means like pubescent Yeah, (laughs) that she starves herself or at least she says she does. And then she ends up, you know, being sort of a procurist for him. And then, you know, in that one story from the mansion in Ohio, you know, kind of joins in uh, with the abuse. So she seems like a very sad story, which is not to give her an excuse for the things that she did. But but her story seems a little more complicated. I agree with you. Her story seems more complicated. When I heard the story about her father, that was freaking horrifying. And certainly to sort of be stuck in a cycle where you end up with somebody who is basically doing the same kind of abuse you were subjected to as a kid. It's... Not very hard to connect the dots. That story, by the way, of that girl who says she was assaulted by Ghislaine as well as Epstein is horrifying. And and I just want to clarify one thing. I just refer to her as a character. And that's something we say a lot on this podcast. And I've gotten a few emails about this in the last couple of months. Uh, when we talk about people as characters, we're talking about where they play in the story that we're talking about on the show, like how they're used uh, in the narrative. And yes, real people can also be characters in a narrative. Right, Kevin? Yes. Right. So just to clarify that, we're not trying to in any way lessen the real We're using life. nonfiction nomenclature and not the kind that you would use if you were exactly a prosecutor or a victim advocate or something like that. Exactly. Speaking of something that's almost too crazy to be believed, Pedophile Island, apparently. Oh, my God. Oh, God. A year after the assault in Santa Monica, a Wexner-controlled entity buys Epstein's Ohio mansion back from him. The sale price is $8 million over double what Epstein had paid for the property a few years earlier. 
Around the same time, Epstein purchases an island in the Caribbean for roughly the same price. In effect, Epstein sells Wexner a property Wexner himself originally built and makes enough money on the deal to buy his own private island. The island's called Little St. James, but Epstein calls it Little St. Jeff's instead. The island will become a kingdom run by its own laws and its own morality, and Epstein's abuse of young girls and women is about to become a lot more brazen. Laura, apparently you've had a close call with Pedophile Island. What? I have. Uh, yes. Well, she's seen it. I mean, she's I've really seen had a it. close call. So, um, From the air? I don't know if you all recall. No, when I was um, off with the legally blind sailing captain in the Virgin Islands last year, mm-hmm. and um, we were sailing around. So you saw around. it, but he didn't? No, and he said to me, he said, we have our two billionaires down here. We have the pedophile over there, and he pointed out the island, and he said, and then we have, like, <laughs> Kenny Chesney, who's done some good stuff for us after the hurricane, and we like him. So not not actually a secret then, you know? No, they all knew it. The locals down there really didn't like him, and they had a lot of negative feelings towards him. So here's something I didn't know about Jeffrey Epstein that I feel like I should have known, but I guess you know a lot of this reporting just hasn't been in one place before for me to consume it all at the same time. Um, that he also is apparently guilty of perpetrating like a huge ass Ponzi scheme and was never prosecuted yeah. for it. What's up with that? I don't know. That's why it makes the story so interesting. Thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I don't know. I'm interested in finding out. My initial sort of conspiratorial thought is that he probably hooked up somebody somewhere in the process with a young girl. And it's like, you know, it'd be better if I didn't go to jail yeah. for you. Yeah. But it is kind of weird. And then the guy who <laughs> was kind of his associate in this ends up doing a lot of jail time. Yeah, and I forget that guy's name, but if he's if he's talking to the grand jury and giving up Epstein, you know, it sounds like that the, what the prosecutors are trying to do is give him some consideration and Epstein is the actual target. And so the way that that guy ends up going to jail and Epstein apparently never gets charged is just like a real either fuck up of the case or it was by design. Yeah, this guy has friends in high places. He just does. I mean, I don't but think I'm that's thinking, a but secret I, I anymore, think, though, right? I think at this time in his life, this is pre-Wexler and pre-being, you know, with the very upper crust. It seems like this was a, you know, a mid-level Ponzi scheme that he was, this was the source of his seed money. Yeah, but he still with friends with rich people, rich I, enough, I guess, right? rich enough, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's really easy to get into like crazy conspiracy land when you talk about this, except that a lot of it has borne out and turned out to be completely true. Like if you were to say about somebody, oh, there's a guy who is a prolific pedophile, did it for decades, uh, got you know a, a super easy deal that somebody high up in the government clearly like arranged for him and was able to just like go out to a fake job every day and like pick up right where he left off being a pedophile when he was no longer in in jail like nobody cared and you know had a private island or he like you'd be like that's that sounds crazy it sounds like Pizzagate stuff it's all true though it all happened and it's really easy to get into a headspace where you're like. He must have a pretty fucking incredible black book and he must have an incredible set of friends in high places or enemies in high places who'd rather people not know what he knows about them. I don't know. It's impossible to not think that. Right. Right. 
I want to mention one thing. Uh, Kevin, we've never reviewed this episode on our podcast about Law and Order, the episode about Jeffrey Epstein that came out, what, in like 2011? I don't, I don't recall it, but I know you do. Yes, it is a, there's an episode that came out, I want to say in like 2011, 2012 about Jeffrey Epstein that tracks so closely with the real story. It's called Flight. It's an SVU episode. And if anyone is interested in just sort of comparing how ripped from the headlines. It's like teen models massaging the guy. It was, it tracked yeah. so closely. It tracked so closly with what ended up being the real you know, evidence that they were talking about, the prosecutors were talking about after he was arrested, that it's really amazing because, you know, a lot of those episodes of SVU, Kevin, like they are ripped from the headlines-ish. That yeah. one was really, really dead on. <laughs> it's really, really crazy. They did find, replace in the script. They just took out Epstein and put in Mr. Jones. Yeah. yeah. Now, one last thing I just want to pull you guys about. We reviewed a lot of Wondery podcasts on the show. Uh, I think they vary in quality, but I think it sounds like we all kind of in agreement this one is more straight, more reported, but it is very Wondery also, and they had their own unique production style with it. It was had sort of a rock and roll theme song. They have some other okay. sonic elements. Kevin, where are you on the Wondery style? You, you would still know this was a Wondery show if you didn't know it, right? Yeah, I, w- I would. High high production value, very lush. I mean, I, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit with some of the, um, you know, sound effects of eh, gonna, and he walk, opened the door and walked in, you know, that kind of stuff. They drive down a dead-end street and park in front of a two-story pink house. Then they walk down the driveway, past a guardhouse, and through the kitchen door. Once but it's not disqualifying for me. I do believe Wondery has decided they have a sound and that they are going, they're leaning into that. You know, maybe, you know, it's going to be that without even knowing about it, just by listening, you'd be able to identify a, a Wondery product. They've also gotten very good at story selection recently and, and have had a couple of really good podcasts. Well, it helps this one that this one has actual, like, a lot of journalism in it too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. doesn't that make you forgive the discordant blues soundtrack a little bit because toby you don't really like the blues soundtrack either right i'm just not sure how it applies to jeffrey epstein yeah he doesn't seem to have lived a very bluesy life to me (laughs) all right well let's do what we do it's time to poll the panel would you recommend to our listeners that they check out The Mysterious Mr. Epstein from Wondery? It is a very popular podcast. Lara Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for this show? Um, I'm going to go with thumbs up. Uh, not that, like I said, I, I was originally like, I don't want to give this guy any attention. Nobody should do a podcast about him. He sucks. He's an asshole. All that stuff. But this is really well done. It's interesting. It does give some backstory. And it is an interesting story in terms of looking at the totality of how somebody like this was able to use, you know, sort of his privilege to get away with something that he should have been put away for long before he was. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the mysterious Mr. Epstein? I give it a thumbs up. I think it's super solid. You know, the journalism's good. It ticks off all the boxes that we tend to like and avoids all the things that we don't. It's it's kind of an interesting story, and it also it's very relevant right now. So thumbs up. I'm giving it a thumbs up as well. I think a podcast like this does a good service to a podcasting audience who may not be reading, you know, one article here in the Washington Post and one article here from the Miami Herald and one article here from the New York Times and what, you know what I mean? So it does a good job synthesizing a lot of that reporting and bringing it together into one narrative, which is a good service uh, to bring to an audience. And I think that a, a podcast is a great place to do original reporting, but then also 
kind of pull together elements from their story. My only quibble about the show is a production quibble. As Kevin mentioned, I'm not a big fan of the very literal background sounds as I walk down the sidewalk to the door and hearing the step, 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 squeaky, squeaky door. Not a huge fan of that. Also not a huge fan of when a narrator in a voiceover is quoting something and then they add like a special effect to his voice and go from him to him with a special effect. That's just like panning back and forth left to right. Not a huge, huge fan of that like way of doing it. But other than that, I have to say I was really, really surprised by how good the mysterious Mr. Epstein is. I plan to continue listening. I want to know more about the money stuff. I really, really hope they continue telling that part of the story. And of course, I want to know what they can dig up around that alleged suicide after he was in jail. So I'm going to do listening. Thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? I'm also a thumbs up. Wondery has been doing a great job upping their game, you know, right on the heels of Joe Exotic, coming out with a really substantive, timely podcast and pulling together the story in sort of the, probably for the first time in this, certainly in this format, but pulling together all these disparate stories and making one larger narrative about who Jeffrey Epstein was and the troubling issues that his whole case brings up. I do really enjoy Lindsey Graham as a announcer and as a journalist. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Every time they say Lindsey Graham, I'm like, what? Well, anyway, <laughs> I think Lindsey Graham's doing a great job. Um, he certainly has the kind of uh, delivery and the presence, this audio presence that really elevates the storytelling and, and uh I have a lot of faith in what he's putting forward. The mysterious Mr. Epstein, I think, is uh, an important story to hear, even if the details might turn your stomach. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Moving on. BBC Sounds presents an investigation into a multi-billion dollar scam involving OneCoin and the disappearance of the so-called cryptocurrency's founder. One family! You're amazing, guys. Dr. Ruja promised to make the world rich through a revolutionary new cryptocurrency. I believe what makes us different is our vision. 
We are more than just one coin. We create the world around this coin. Host Jamie Bartlett shows us that Dr. Ruja Ignatova turned her digital money venture into a cult-like phenomenon. Within two years, she was packing out arenas around the world with believers who'd invested in her idea. It was called the Bitcoin Kira. Ruja Ignatova, she's an ingenious lady. Bartlett and his producer Georgia set off to find Ignatova, who went missing in 2017. Their investigation takes them around Europe, where rumors of her fate are plentiful. Do you know where she is? No idea. Bro. Doesn't know where she is. What's her name? Ruja. I think I might have heard something that someone was there and like the whole organizer of everything. It's cult. It's very cult. Like, what sort of thing were you worried might happen? In the podcast, we learn OneCoin doesn't have the blockchain technology to keep it secure, and company representatives are still selling millions of dollars of the cryptocurrency, even though the money can't be spent and its leaders are under indictment. The missing crypto queen takes a deep dive into a 21st century Ponzi scheme, its enigmatic engineer, and the people who choose to believe. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the missing crypto queen. So to stay spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now, you guys all sent me notes on this. So I just want to get it out of the way. The BBC has made a stylistic choice here to commission some original music from a Bulgarian chorus that has sort of like a Middle Eastern, but also sometimes a Bulgarian sound to it. And you, all of you, to a person, sent notes, as well as on our Facebook group, a lot of our listeners sent notes about how they think the music in this podcast is a little too much and a little bit overdone. The Missing Crypto Queen was presented by me, Jamie Bartlett. It was written and researched by me, Jamie Bartlett, and Georgia Cat. Georgia Cat was the producer. Yeah, I have a problem with it, but... It kind of grew on me. <laughs> did it? Yeah, it did kind of grow on me. It was kind of like Indiana Jones and the Legend of the Lost Crypto Queen. It's a little bombastic. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's not... Cl- it's like... I'm not a big expert on Bulgarian music, but it was not clear to me that it was Bulgarian. It did have, it does have a sort of uh, Middle Eastern or South Asian kind of feel to it. And it does seem a little ethnic in places that seem like not great. But Which is, I think, is okay if that is like... The predominant but, setting, exactly. Or, when you when when you pick a, a piece of music, it, it it invokes some kind of emotion, or it amplifies a setting. It achieves an effect, and I don't know what effect they're trying to achieve with that particular piece of music. I found it distracting. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree, and I have to tell you, I didn't even know that it was this like originally commissioned like Bulgarian choral music until I listened to the credits and one of the episodes like all the way till the end. I mean, I will say it's a stylistic choice they made. I don't agree with it, but I don't think it's like, it doesn't kill the podcast, but it's not the choice I would have made. The music itself isn't bad. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of weird for the podcast. I mean, it's just, I mean, it it seems like they're going, well, I shouldn't say this, but like the closest comparison is, uh, whatchamacallit, that um, the the one about the mafia in in, uh, Providence. Crime Town? Crime Town. I kept. I was thinking Crime Town. Then thinking that wasn't it. Yeah, it's got that same. You know, it's kind of, you know, up tempo and and sort of cinematic. But uh-huh. in Crime Town, it sort of worked. Hmm. Yeah, Here it doesn't. Yeah, I actually. So. I'm. I'm not a huge fan of sort of like the ethnic sort of spin the music has because 
it it can go awry pretty easily. Let's just put it that way. I will say the only thing I could think of with the music in this podcast is kind of like a snake charmery kind of thing. And I was like, maybe yeah. that's like sort of like an analogy, like that that's what Dr. Ruja was like, that she's mm. like this like... But that's a little bit racist. Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, that's <laughs> what I mean. Which is what's not cool about it. That's, yeah. yeah, that's but that's the only sort of like connection I can make. And I was like, well... Uh, but listen, I don't know a ton about Bulgarian music yeah. either, so it could just be pure Bulgarian music. I would love to find out. And if somebody works on that podcast who's listening to us can fill me in, actually... Let's go ask Boyan. I actually do know the yeah. guy who does podcasts for BBC. I met him at Podcast Movement. Maybe I'll write him an email and ask. The the tunes that Dr. Ruja actually plays at her... Uh, <laughs> those are At her fun. little raves or whatever those are. I love that one. Let's give a warm <laughs> yeah. applause for... Our creator, our founder, our lovely Dr. Ruja. All right. I think it's too bad that the music stood out so so much that we had to start with that because (laughs) otherwise I think there's some good things in this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's do that thing we do and go around the horn. (laughs) (laughs) Nice try, Toby. I have some things to say, Toby. Kevin, a couple of, one other production note I just wanted to ask you about, because I don't know if you also noticed this, but um, I don't listen to this in my car, listen to it on my earphones, right? Yeah. So I hear like a different recording style from these reporters than I hear from other podcasts you've listened to where they, they bring stereo mics to do yeah. field tape and they are panning it in such a way that you get a sense of the room. I actually think it's, I usually don't like that. I usually like tracks to be in mono, vocal tracks, mm-hmm. but I actually like it. I felt like when, especially when he went to that place where he was meeting with that MLM king and his wife <laughs> and you could hear her in the background parroting all the stuff he said after he said it. All this is all Dolce Gabbana. So these, so these people that you're recruiting in early, these people are starting to make money too. They're starting yes, to make a lot. Immediately. So, so talk me through the sort of numbers you're dealing with now. So the first month, ninety thousand. And then how quickly did that increase? Oh, the, oh, the month after month that, where the hundred twenty thousand that went up uh, in no time. In a couple of months, we made a million. Yeah, I mean, and I think there was some of well, that was more studio production for the. Mr. Epstein, but uh, there was some of that too. Again, some you know so, some clever sound design here. I think, or at least it was sort of implied that maybe there's a video component to this news gathering uh, when we got to the um, the, the beauty yacht. contest. Oh yeah, the beauty contest, which we have to talk about. <laughs> but there was like, oh yeah, they don't want us to film, but it's okay to record. So I'm like, okay, so they have a video camera. So you know, maybe it's. They're recording with a boom microphone as opposed to miking up individuals. Right. Well, I kind of got the sense they had a camera too when they went to that yacht and they were like, he's looking over here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm like, if you just have a microphone, you don't care that someone's looking over here. You just walk away, right? Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to talk about that the reporter Jamie Bartlett does, by the way, I love him. I just, I'm just going to say it. I love Jamie Bartlett. So funny. So charming. So funny. And he does a great thing where when he knows he's writing about something complicated, he calls his mom to see if she gets it. What a great idea. All right, that's the end. Does that make sense to you? Um, no, not really, Jamie, I'm sorry. Because I don't even understand the concept of how you spe- where you would spend this. Well, imagine, um, and rather than money. me saying I send my money to Georgia, and it's in the book, I could send my money to Tesco, and now it's in Tesco's account, and that's on the book. Uh, okay, but do places like Tesco's accept Bitcoin then? Well, no, no, but they might one day. 
I thought it was fantastic because she was just like, yeah, no, I don't get it. And he's like, okay, back to the drawing board or whatever. I thought that was really great because it was confusing. I mean, I didn't know and I still don't really know or understand. I don't think that much about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all that. So I just thought that was a really clever way to explain it. And that's what I liked about this whole podcast is that it was very transparent with everything. And, you know, everything they were doing, you were kind of following along with as they were reporting and explaining things. So I thought that was fun. I thought it was fun because he was trying to see if she understood how blockchain worked by the way he described it. And then she was like, no, 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 forget that. Like, can you spend this stuff at Tesco? (laughs) 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 And he he realized, like, I have to go back and actually explain what cryptocurrency is. (laughs) This whole blockchain thing isn't enough. I thought that was really, really good. Um, So, Toby, why is cryptocurrency such a great grift? Because that's what this is, basically, right? Right. Because, in fact, in this case, it's nothing. It's like literally just a promise of something that doesn't exist. I mean, I think the thing about cryptocurrency is most people have heard of it. Almost nobody understands what it is, except that, you know, it seems like people make money off of it. Like you could literally, like even after listening to this, I think you could come up with me. If you spent five minutes like trying to think of some talking points that would fool me about cryptocurrency, you could probably pull it off pretty easily. And so that's what I think the thing is with this, with the grift is if you have people who want to be kind of entrepreneurial, but in like not a way that requires, you know, starting a business or something like that. But I want to invest in something that's kind of cutting edge that, you know, it seems like other people who are kind of cutting edge are are making money off of that. That becomes attractive. And then like these claims that she makes about it, you know, we're the biggest, we have more people, you know, we're selling all this. I assume that doesn't really make any difference for like real cryptocurrency, but it sounds good. And if you're in a room with 10,000 people going berserk every time she says something like that, it probably feels very real. So it just seems like you've got this sort of very limited cultural awareness of what it is, other than it's something that people who are like in the know can make money off of. And she's letting you in on that. And you don't know enough to know that it's bullshit. You know, what is also great about this grift is that you don't have to produce anything, right? I mean, you've got, it's, first of all, it's a scam within a scam, which we also have to talk about. You know, Wait, what do you mean it's a scam well, within you've a got, scam? I mean, you've got the cryptocurrency scam, and then you also have people selling it as an MLM. That's right. So, and at least with another MLM, you have to come up with the lipstick and give it to the people, right? You don't have to turn over anything with the cryptocurrency. And you just say, how much is it worth? Who decides that? Uh, the cryptocurrency. Yeah, today we're we're trading at 250 euros. You know, they're the ones that say that it's not fungible, so people just keep buying it, sitting on it. They don't ever have to give out anything. And you know, by the time they realize that this is a scam, you can have a you know bag full of cash and be living on a yacht somewhere in the Mediterranean. It's super interesting what Toby was saying because, like, sort of the person that would be attracted to the cryptocurrency. So there is somebody in my town that drives around with this vanity plate that says Bitcoin. And well, that's real. Bitcoin is real, though, in a way that this is not. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. But it's also sort of like the people that are interested in that. And so like I see that person always posting in our like local community forum, like, does anyone want to have a Bitcoin meetup and like talk about Bitcoin? And it's like, they're not getting a lot of followers. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just I think that whole sort of mind shift. And even though this is a scam, there is a legitimate component to it. But at the same time, that legitimate component 
also isn't getting a lot of followers. And some people think that's a scam, you know, so it's kind of fascinating to me. It is. I mean, Bitcoin, I mean, I sh- we should say it's a real thing. I mean, there are, but Bitcoin is actually quite popular in New Hampshire because the people who belong to the free state movement really like it. Um, we have a big libertarian con- contingent here in the state called the Free Staters. And there's actually a lot of like coffee shops and stuff, especially near where you live, Laura, that yeah. accept Bitcoin as currency. There's Bitcoin ATMs. It's a thing. I don't have any, but I know that it is a real thing. And I know that when you get your computer taken over by one of those like ransom people, they always want payment in they Bitcoin, do. which they've costs come, real money. They've come for me. <laughs> Thank God I had my life locked. They came for me. Oh, mm. yeah. you don't have any Bitcoin. Hmm. But I can pay you in one coin. Can we just talk about poor Jen? Sure. Invested thousands of dollars of her own money. Also got her friends and family invested. Seems bright, like understood the technology to a point and then gets the phone call from this like, he's not wrong, but he seems like kind of a crazy person. (laughs) One coin is not a cryptocurrency. There is no blockchain and I can prove it. blockchain temp. I can prove it to you that there's not. Well then prove it to me. I'll fucking prove it. I have never met anybody like that. I don't give a shit. It's a fucking scam. It's a fucking scam. Poor Jen. Imagine just being like a a well-meaning person who kind of thinks you're onto something. She seems earnest enough and then this guy is like, it isn't real and I can prove it. You mean a hater? (laughs) Yeah. That's when it started to sound like Scientology. Yes. Yes, it did. Well, they did have that guy, that cult expert, and she talked about, you know, sort of the similarities there from the doomsday cults and this. And Scientology. Let's be real. I mean, what's the difference is that instead of God, you have money. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's not like an exact comparison, but that seems like the biggest difference. So, Toby, though, but we do have a guy in the podcast, the MLM King, who is very transparent. Like, yeah, I'm at the top of Jeez. these things. I've been involved in a, a gajillion of them and like kind of shameless about it. I kind of love He's that an interesting guy. character because he doesn't buy into the, the bullshit of it. Like he knows it's a pyramid scheme and he's just like, yeah, this is how you get rich off these things. What do you think of him, Toby? <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's an interesting character. Um, you can't really condone it. Right. I mean, he's just uh, he's just scamming all these people with these sort of prepackaged scams that he can jump in on. Mm -hmm. But he's super good at it. He uh, identified his talent and is exploiting it to the max. I I think in general, he's kind of an odious character. But the fact that he has that personality and is willing to be so open in the interview was he have all this like Dolce and Gabbana, like yeah. black and gold, like complete black and gold outfit? Like mm. he's kind of a clown. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think you fall into that trap of he's so amusing on the podcast that you don't realize that what he's really doing is like screwing tons and tons and tons of people over. That's right. Over so and over again. make a lot of money while providing almost nothing as a way of service. Right. Jamie, Jamie had a great point where he, he said this along the lines of, at, you know, at what point are you... Uh, victim and what, uh, what point are you a perpetrator if you're also you know part of the the pyramid where yeah the person above you is taking advantage of you but aren't you taking advantage of the people below you and he's like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no he's totally he, he's, he's not so, a victim he's very at all yeah. I, but, I kind but of appreciate at the point it. at what point do you start saying that jen is also 
Well, they asked Jen that yeah, question, you know? which was the right thing to do. Bringing her in near the that was what the right thing to do was to was to put her a feet to the fire for that. That was the right thing for them to do. Who thought the cryptocurrency beauty pageant was going to be a beauty pageant with cryptocurrency? <laughs> so this is the scene. There are 25 or so beauty contestants from all over the world in a constant procession on and off the stage. Round one is national costumes. They're taking in turns. (laughs) Seriously, Kevin? I love the fact that that was the prize. (laughs) But, well, you could either get plastic surgery or you could get cryptocurrency. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is this? credit for. Oh, I'm sorry. Like a gift certificate for. Or your cryptocurrency. (laughs) What does it say if you win a beauty pageant (laughs) and the prize is a credit for plastic surgery? What does that say? Laura... I know that you love that episode, right? You love that episode. They have to give that to the runner-up. Two times so far I've listened to the episode and I might listen to it a third time because I love that episode so much. And I just loved the descriptions that he had, that Jamie had of the people. Like he's talking about how they either were like used car salesmen or the mafia. And like Mm. the music that was playing in the background. And that episode just was like, gold to me. I mean, it started with when they had to like sneak into the conference where the promoter person was because they weren't sure they were going to get into the beauty pageant. I've been to a lot of conferences in my life, unfortunately, and uh, it looks like a perfectly normal, legit, professionally run conference, doesn't it? The sort of sad eyes of the organizers, the depressing lanyards. It definitely could be a conference for absolutely anything. And so I really appreciated sort of this like window into their reporting and like then they have to go get their cocktail attire. And I love how Jamie's like, would you like a little purse? (laughs) 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 But it was just and and like what else? I once spent a week in a free love commune and it was nothing as strange as this. So it was just like one thing after another. And then I'm like, is this just a big cover? Are these really like, is this like a prostitution arrangement? They're giving these guys all this like champagne and they're bringing all these like attractive women out. And the next thing you know, it's like the Danish health club in Kittery. I mean, you guys know about that place. I was yes. like, what is happening here? And then, oh my God, uh, Kevin, can you please recreate yeah. for me when the minor Romanian celebrity butchered the Titanic theme song? <laughs> <laughs> and as she proceeds to murder the Titanic theme tune, We edge past hundreds of watchful eyes and jump into the first taxi. We've seen enough to know that one coin is still going and there is a lot of money here. I like your Elizabeth Warren impression better, Kevin. And then after that, they're like, oh, by the way, Miss France won. <laughs> they have the traditional outfit thing, and the yeah. and the American woman is dressed as a Statue yeah. of Liberty. Yeah. Yeah. It's like glow. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea, and like he gets into this that basically, but even their bullshit is so bad. Like he's like, you can pretend that your event is big if you hold it in some obscure place that no one's going to go. You can just pretend that it's big online. Yeah. But they called it the biggest event, whatever. They were like, yeah. it's going to be the biggest <laughs> event ever. That we, that we put together two weeks ago. Oh, I was like, I, I still, I'm going to have to listen four times. It was like the best thing I've ever heard. 
So after the beauty pageant, which is... I think Crime Writers on Beauty Pageant is our next... It's really oh, amazing. Right I, right, yeah. I love I love when he interviews the contestant and she's just talking about... She couldn't even get her family tickets. Yeah, normally when I go to a beauty pageant, it's like I know a, I knew a year in advance. I know what I'm supposed to do. This time, I don't know, I found like took two weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right. So after the beauty pageant, uh, there's a whole section that I found super fascinating about whether or not Dr. Ruja oh, yeah. is perhaps. Is she missing? Has she absconded? And, and he meets with a very, very central casting type private detective for some guy. clues. Oh my God, I love him. In October 2017, and then suddenly she disappears. And no one knows what she did once she got to Athens. What was her lifestyle? That's the most important thing of all. What was her lifestyle? Because no matter how good you are at evading anyone, we will all leave a pattern. What type of food you eat, so that would determine what restaurant she went to. It's unlikely she wants to change her lifestyle. Very unlikely she wants to change her lifestyle. And then we also get the section about whether or not she's had plastic surgery and she's just hiding in plain sight with a different face. First of all, I thought that that private detective guy had a lot of really good points. That People just want to live the way they live. Mm -hmm. If she went to Athens, she was probably just buying another yacht and she's probably just like right there, like on some stupid yacht. Uh, Laura, you're a private detective. Uh, Is that what you found? That people just like to do what they do? They don't actually deviate from their patterns? Pretty much, yeah. I I love that part. I love that guy. And I loved how he was like, his best piece of advice talk to the dock workers, the people Mm. who are actually going to tell you information. P.I. Allen or whatever his name was. And he was like, you know, who would want to live in 40 minus degrees in Russia? Like, yeah, not me. Not Dr. Edward Snowden didn't want to live there. He just got stuck there. She does (laughs) Sochi would be the place. The princess dresses, according to everybody, she looks like a queen. That would not go over well in Russia. She's too cold. Mm. I think she's dead. No, she's think not. She's dead? She's, do you I think, think she's, she's had dead. the plastic surgery? I think she's. I think she's alive. I think she's had the plastic surgery. But Kevin, she she found out right before she disappeared that she was being investigated or was under her indictment. No, her indictment was unsealed, gone. and then she disappeared. You think she was killed? I mean, oh, you think? Oh, I guess maybe my timeline is off. Yeah, then. he puts that together that even though the indictment was, and they it, got the brother exactly, but there was an indictment against her that had been sealed, and then it was. Like, unse- like she would have figured out that she'd been indicted like just days before she I thought maybe she crossed she the, the mafia or whatever. Is that what you think? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that like I know where it's going. So I'll tell you, a long time ago uh, when I was producer of a radio show, we did a segment on people who rich people can pay to help them disappear. And mm-hmm. apparently like one of the most common, it's not one of the most common, but there are many examples of really wealthy people being sentenced to prison and then quote dying in prison, but they've actually been disappeared by one of these like. Dying before they go to prison. No, they die in prison, but it's actually a setup where they're actually not really dead and they've been absconded away. That's uh, a thing. Like Jeffrey Epstein. But anyway. Well, there was one Enron guy though that died before he had to report to prison. Right. And that the FBI had to go check out and make sure he actually was dead. Mm. They didn't just take the family's word for it. Laura, the other thing that the private detective said that was super interesting is that, like, we overestimate who would know somebody. <laughs> yeah. So she could just be, like, going to the coffee shop and going to Tesco and doing what she does. And, like, people aren't going to be like, look, there she is. I wouldn't yeah. know what she looks like. No, I thought that yeah. was a really interesting thing because, like, I think the fact that she might be hiding in plain sight, I kind of like the intrigue of, like, she's hiding on her yacht in the Mediterranean. I mean, that, that's definitely got, like, made-for-TV movie 
But the fact that you know she could have altered her appearance and be there all along, and the fact that she could have been at the beauty pageant. I mean, who would miss the beauty pageant? Would Dr. Rusha really miss the beauty pageant? No, <laughs> absolutely not. All right, well, let's do what we do. Let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews for The Missing Crypto Queen from the BBC. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about this podcast? I love this podcast. I'm the one who've been, I've been like asking everybody to listen to it. The host, Jamie, is not only a great reporter, but he's super funny. And I love his little sides. And I love this sort of like following along in the reporting and hearing these sort of comical things. But this is a crazy story. And it's it's really fascinating, this whole world of cryptocurrency and this particular one, which is more like a multi-level marketing scheme, just a super fascinating story about something that I didn't know anything about told in a really engaging way. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the missing crypto queen from the BBC? Uh, thumbs up. Very good. Yeah, I like it too. I think it's really fun. I really love Jamie. He sort of reminds me of a sort of John Ronson-esque explorer in the world type reporter who's willing to show you a little bit of his process and vulnerability while he's doing the story. I love Georgia and how she pops up every now and then as a character in her own right. And I was really surprised to hear in the credits that... um, First of all, they're doing all this travel to all these different countries to report this, which is a really impressive investment being made by the BBC in this project. But very surprising to hear in the credits that it's essentially just the two of them writing and producing this thing. And I think it's really, really fun. And the story is fascinating and really good. What about you, Kevin? I'm also a thumbs up. So uh, this was a good tale. Um, It did bring me into a world that I didn't know a lot about, certainly a, a news story that wasn't on my radar and I, uh, I appreciate that the efforts that they're going to, they, they certainly aren't just going to, you know, follow the trail like Carmen Sandiego to find someone who has apparently dropped off the map, but exploring all the different issues around uh, the case. And I'm getting a real great education from it. So I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I, I guess I, I have to back off my, uh, my thought that perhaps the crypto queen is dead. Perhaps she is just gone into Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Hiding.
Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of... Crime of the week. The week. Ever wake up from a nightmare that you're missing an important meeting? That happened to a 21-year-old Florida man who overslept and missed jury duty. DeAndre Somerville got picked to serve on a civil case and told to return to court at 9 a.m. the next day. But he says he missed his alarm and didn't wake up until 11.30. Instead of going to court or calling the bailiff, he blew it off and went straight to his job working with kids after school. Soon after, the police came knocking with a bench warrant. The judge said the sleepy juror's absence delayed the trial by 45 minutes, and he was pissed. Somerville thought he might get hit with a fine. Instead, he got 10 days in jail, 150 hours of community service, and one year probation. His public defender correctly, in my opinion, called the sentence excessive <laughs> and is hoping cooler heads will prevail. Meanwhile, Somerville is worried his record will keep him from his dream of being a firefighter. It seems like a good job for him because they do get to sleep overnight at the fire station between calls. <laughs> Panel, that must have been some sweet dream that he was having to keep him in bed until almost noon. What do you think in an alternate universe where the judge wasn't being such a jackhole, this guy would have told the judge he was dreaming about? What do you think, Laura? Um, that he was actually a judge for the Miss One Coin Beauty <laughs> competition. <laughs> Don't wake me up. Here comes Miss Great Britain. I'm at the biggest event in the world. In the history of the world. I can't miss a moment of this. I've got my cocktail attire. What about you, Toby? What do you think he would have told this judge he was dreaming about if this judge had not been such a jackhole? Uh, he was paralyzed by fright from a nightmare about being attacked by an owl. <laughs> oh, that was a good one, Toby. Good job, Toby. Good job. What do you have, Kevin? Uh, well, he dreamt that the guy did it, so he told the judge, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should probably get on on that note, but before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Well, you guys, I, I feel like I need, this is a dog of the week week. We would be remiss if we didn't mention Bridie because we, Aww. like, Aww. seriously, we all went through Stampy's death. So your dog Bridie, who you've had, you had for 10 and a half years um, last weekend, um, that was, that was her end. But, you know, what I always kind of appreciated, she kind of reminds me of our weird cat Zelda because, like, yes. I feel like um, Bridie, you had to get another dog to teach Bridie how to be a dog. And we had to That's get right. other cats. Yeah to teach Zelda to be a cat. So I always kind of felt this like sort of affection for her, like our cat Zelda, like I, I kind of compare her, like Ken doesn't get it. I'm like, she's off Zelda. She's like the Handmaid's Tale cat. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to read a little something because it just, you know, you guys were such wonderful dog parents and you always are doing so many things. So what Kevin said about Bridie, I'm just going to read a little, um, that she was the kind of dog that would run away and not come when you called, like my cat, chew up expensive True. bras, um, True. like my cat unlatch your crate with a single swipe leap to take the food out of your hand or off your plate if you weren't careful pee on the rug rummage to the dishwasher and leap from the lap if you tried to pet her but she was such an aloof dog we had to get another one to show her to behave see this is the thing people have all kinds of pets and I think it takes like when you have a pet that's like a little bit quirky like that you're a good dog owner so Aww. good job yeah. Bridie yeah. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. That's really sweet. I yeah. appreciate you naming Bridie Cat of the Week. Bridie because... is Cat of the Week, and Zelda sends her regards to Bridie, because every day <laughs> I say to Zelda in our house, I go, Zelda, you're almost becoming a real cat now. And she's like <laughs> five years old. <laughs> and she'll be like, ah, and she'll do this little croak. Ah, and I'm like, she's yeah. almost a cat. So, it, but, yeah. though, but you know what? 
we appreciate our, our quirky animals. So we do. Yeah. We do. And the good news is now that Brady's no longer with us, we can buy a rug. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually buying our first rug that we've had in our living room for more than a decade. It's on its way to us in the mail. Oh, my goodness. It's the only upside of this whole fucking terrible week. Thank you, Laura Bricker. That was a very nice tribute to poor, sweet, dear Bridie. We love you, Bridie. You are missed. Yeah. Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and give you their pet I hope living next week. Can yes. you be cat or dog yes. of the week? How can they find you on Twitter? Um, they can find me at Laura Bricker. Tell you ball folks want to reach out to you and just say hi. Maybe not roast you for a change. You could you could have a week of not being roasted. That would be nice. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you, how can they find you online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And you'll get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, but not Studio C, the closet in our basement from which Kevin calls his mom to see if she understands what a podcast is. (laughs) On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Settings. System. Sound. Choose your input. Yes. Yes. You kind of sound like Napoleon Dynamite right now. Do you sense that, Rebecca? Uh, he yeah. always sounds like Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite to me. Maybe I've just did you noticed just notice that just now? I did just now. I was like, Toby kind of sounds like Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, Laura <laughs> does. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.